0: If you own great companies, you're gonna be fine. Yes, if you own a Blockbuster, a JCPenney, you know, you're not gonna be fine. So <laughs> you know that? that's where your homework should be done. Okay. Is yeah. The quality of the companies you own, mm-hmm. not whether or not the stocks are going up or down right now because the market's mm-hmm. swinging like a yo-yo, okay? Yeah. You don't control that. I don't control that. The Fed kinda controls it maybe, but you don't control the Fed. So. Mm-hmm. If you can't control it, let it be. Yeah. Control what you can control. The quality Mm -hmm. of the companies you own in your portfolio. Are they high quality companies? Do they have great growth prospects? Will they Mm -hmm. grow in the long run? If yes to all three, stick with that company. Stick with Mm -hmm. the stock. It's going to make you money in the long run.
1: What's up, HGI investors and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis and as always pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango, Luke, how are we doing today? Uh,
0: today, last week, the world's on fire. Oh, it's a rough and scary market out there, Aaron. Uh, March had faked us, May had faked us fact the matter is inflation is killing the markets and no one knows when it's gonna end when it does end we're gonna pop like there's no tomorrow but until then it's stormy waters out
1: there stormy waters well, with the world on fire, hopefully you can help extinguish a few fears. And I'm looking forward to getting into that in just a few moments. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in depth look at emerging tech and, invest- and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to like and subscribe to get hypergrowth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Luke, again, the world seems to be on fire right now, so let's dive right in. The CPI print came in red hot last Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. The economy is take, is tanking on fears that the Fed is no longer capable of pulling pulling off a soft landing like we've kind of been discussing in the last few weeks. Um, They're hiking rates to slow down inflation in our economy. And I kind of have two questions right now. Um, first, can you walk us through the CPI numbers and explain how they fared against the expectations, against kind of what we were talking about last week? And second, can we explain what a soft landing is and why this is so important, why it's important that we have a soft landing and why it may not be likely in the cards anymore?
0: Right. Okay. so the CPI print, uh, May CPI print came out last Friday. It was so spooky because inflation didn't slow Uh, inflation on a year over year basis. The inflation rate slowed in April. People thought we had reached peak inflation, and on the idea that we had reached peak inflation, uh, investors started pricing in perhaps a more dovish pivot by the by the federal the Federal Reserve, and stocks rallied. So that whole May rally was on the idea that we'd reach peak inflation, and that the May inflation print was going to confirm that inflation was continuing to decelerate, but it didn't. Um, inflation instead topped expectations, which doesn't really matter. What matters is that inflation rates accelerated month over month. So we actually got hotter inflation in May than we had in April. That totally basically took the peak inflation thesis, brought it out back and shot it in the head and killed (laughs) the entire rally. That entire May rally eviscerated in a matter of two or three days. Um, and right now we are revisiting actually making new lows in the S and P as we speak. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's why the inflation print was so spooky. Why everybody got afraid of it. Now, the real reason underlying this is okay. Inflation stays hot, gets hotter. That means Uh the fed is going to have to, and they're already hiking rates. They're going to have to ramp it up. So They've been communicating to the markets 50 basis points in June, 50 basis points in July, and then we'll wait and see after that. Maybe we go 50 or 25 in September. Who knows? Too early to say. That's what they've been saying for the past month, basically. Then the May inflation print came out and the calculus changed, the inflation calculus changed. So the Fed is now actively considering and probably will execute a 75 basis point hike in June. That is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The, the Fed's meeting starts today. The press conference releases tomorrow or the press conference is tomorrow. They're probably going to announce a 75 basis point hike at that point in time. That's big. We haven't hiked rates 75 basis points since November of 1994. Before mm-hmm. that, we had to go all the way back to 1982. Before that, we did a bunch of these hikes in 1980, 81 when the Fed was really trying to fight inflation. So there are only three precedents Uh, in history for a 75 basis point hike. 94, 82, and a series of them in 80, 81. This is very aggressive, very extreme tightening by the Fed. Um, It increases the chances of a hard landing, to your point, which means that we're going to spiral into a recession. And it basically completely shatters the medium-term outlook, nearer to medium-term outlook for the U.S. stock market. Uh-huh. So that's why the inflation print is such a big deal. It's not just that inflation accelerated. It's just that because inflation accelerated, now the Fed has to act more quickly. Now the economy has to artificially slow. Now we could go into a recession or the prospects of that are enhanced and therefore stocks have to go lower. That's what we're dealing with right now. And it's very spooky times for investors, without a doubt.
1: So with this this chatter of a uh, 75 75- uh, Bit hike on Wednesday. Is the Fed losing credibility here? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> it's a great question. Um,
0: it's, it, it's awfully suspicious. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Fed, is, Powell has been preaching communication, 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 transparency, transparency, transparency. We're not going to shock you, Wall Street. We're not going to shock the stock market. We're not going to shock investors. We're going to tell you something and we're going to do that thing. Mm-hmm. But he's also been saying we're going to follow the data. So they've been saying, hey, 50 bips, 50 bips, 50 bips. The data came in during a quiet period. The data was red hot. Makes a good case for 75 bips. They obviously start thinking 75 bips. And then there's a leak on Monday that says – you know, the Wall Street Journal comes out and says uh, where our sources are saying 75 bips is on the table. The Fed's discussing 75 bips. CNBC comes out. Steve Leishman says uh, my reporting, my sources are saying 75 bips is going to happen on Wednesday, too. So now mm-hmm. there's this leak. Right. Which is okay. not a leak at all. It's the Fed mm-hmm. literally saying it's the Fed creating a leak so that they mm-hmm. don't lose credibility. Right. Because okay. if there was no leak and then they hiked 75 bips on Wednesday, everybody would be like, we can't trust you at all. Right, mm-hmm. like you were telling us fifty, and now you're going seventy-five. But you were telling us fifty. There was a leak, so the markets mm-hmm. got prepared for seventy-five, and then you went seventy-five. That is a, that is a situation wherein the Fed doesn't lose as much credibility. So I actually don't think the Fed is losing credibility. I think the okay. Fed is doing what it has to to fight inflation. Um, but the fact that they're having to resort to these kind of tactics leaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, does show you that we're on very fragile ground with their credibility. And that's Mm -hmm. why they're going to talk up a super hawkish path because they Mm -hmm. know that if they provide a dovish surprise, no one's going to be pissed by that. If they're saying 75 and they go 50, if they're saying 50 and they go 25 – that's a good surprise. That's the mm-hmm. sort of surprise that sends stocks higher and gets guys like me happy, right? And we're not <laughs> yeah. mad at that They surprise us dovish. Yay, thank mm-hmm. you. If they surprise us hawkish, that's the type of surprise that you want to take them out back and hang them. You know, that's <laughs> the type of surprise we are like, Powell, I'm done with you, man. I am done with you. You told me 50, you're giving me 75. You told me mm-hmm. 25, you're giving me 50. My stocks are tanking. That's on you. So uh-huh. they don't want to provide hawkish surprises; they want to provide dovish surprises. That's why they're going to sound super hawkish on Wednesday. They're probably going to continue to sound super hawkish until inflation's under control.
1: Markets got to recalibrate to that rhetoric, and that's what you're seeing right now. So I know that you're a fan of research and data, and you've already mentioned that this is ha- this has happened before. This kind of these kinds of hikes, mm-hmm. um, historically speaking, what's the precedent, and what can we kind of expect moving forward based on that? Uh, what what's happened in the past
0: yeah so some notes on this right november 94 we mm-hmm. hiked 75 bips that's the last time we hiked 75 basis points three months later february 95 the fed had to cut basis points or had to cut rates by 50 basis points mm-hmm. So basically, they kind of overshot and they had to, to cut three months later, kind of reverse that, that big hike. February mm-hmm. 82, they uh, hiked 75 basis points. Within a month, they cut rates. So, okay. again, you see that they kind of overshot the 75-bit hike and then had to cut. eighty, eighty-one. Mm-hmm. like I said, it was a string of 75 basis point and 100 basis point hikes. That's a completely different period. We can't really mm-hmm. benchmark it to that. So, there's two precedents for what's about to happen, uh, November 94 and February 82. Both mm-hmm. times, the 75 basis point hike, that jumbo hike, was shortly followed by rate cuts within one to three months so what that tells me is that this type of jumbo hike usually means we're at close to the end of a tightening cycle that i think what the fed does is 75 in june 50 or 75 in july and then we actually hit the pause into the end of the year that i think if they really get aggressive here and they front load with jumbo hikes History says that the back half of the year is going to provide that dovish surprise that we're looking for. And I think that's what the Fed's trying to do here. The Fed is trying to really put the hurdle so high on the uh-huh. hawkish side of things that that there's almost virtually no chance that they do not provide a dovish surprise to the markets. I think that's what's going on. So 75 in June. 50 or 75 in July, and then I start, you know, I, I think we start to get some dovish surprises in the back half of the year. Those dovish surprises, I still think, create the foundation for a rally in the markets. And that's why, despite the May inflation print, despite the Fed getting super hawkish, despite Treasury yields spiking to you know, the 10 years at 3.45% now, something like that, I mean, it's going parabolic. Despite all that, I am still constructive on the 12 month outlook for stocks. Things have to get worse before they get better, no Uh doubt. But Uh I do believe there, at some point, this whole situation has to break. Inflation, Uh core inflation is coming down. That was really misunderstood in the May inflation print everybody Mm. talked about headline cpi it accelerated year over year but that was exclusively due to energy prices energy prices dropped in april they rose again in may that flip is why inflation re-accelerated in may look at the core category strip out food strip out energy core inflation decelerated in May. Core inflation okay. is now decelerated for two straight months. So you're uh-huh. seeing core inflation trends get better and better and better and better, and that's because supply chains are improving and demand is moderating. Both of those things are going to continue. China's COVID policies, COVID lockdowns, we had like a spat of them for three or four weeks. Now they're gone. It looks like any and all COVID lockdowns we get in the future in China are going to be uh-huh. temporary, they're not going to be widespread, and they're not going to impact production all that much. So supply uh-huh. chains, globally. Are going to continue to normalize. Demand's going to continue to moderate. Consumer sentiment last Friday, it dropped to all time record lows. I mean, lower Mm -hmm. than 2008, lower than 2001, lower than at any point in the 90s. We are at all time low sentiment levels today. Sentiment's a leading indicator of consumer spending. Consumer spending is 70% of the U.S. economy, 70% of U.S. economic demand. Therefore, What I'm seeing in the sentiment is telling me that you're going to get a significant demand slowdown in the U.S. Uh economy over the next few months concurrently. Coinbase just announced they're firing 20% of their employees. Um, Uh BlockFi, I think it was also a 20%. They're firing 20% of their employees. We talked about all the hiring freezes that Uh are happening in the tech sector right now. Go talk to people. The job market is not as strong as it appears. We are on the Uh cusp of going from a really strong job market to a shaky job market. Shaky Uh job market, falling stocks, low consumer sentiment. That tells me... Economic demand, consumer spending is really going to slow. Slowing demand, Mm -hmm. improving supply means core inflation trends are going to decelerate. On top of all that, we talked about retailer inventories. They're building. They're building. Mm -hmm. They're building. They're building to a point where Target – is now yeah. cutting prices on a whole bunch of stuff to clear that inventory. If Target's doing it, Walmart's going to do it. Kohl's mm-hmm. is going to do it. Macy's is going to do it. Nordstrom's going to do it. You're going to get price cuts across all of these, these goods over the next several months. Mm-hmm. Core inflation is going to come down, definitely. So now we are got to talk about the energy side of the equation. Looking at the energy side of the equation, how on earth – is oil gonna stay at such high prices in the midst of an economic, massive economic slowdown, a potential recession? Uh-huh. Go look at the oil chart from 2007 to 2009. I uh-huh. think we're getting an exact repeat of that. Oil spiked like crazy going into that recession. As soon as that recession hit, as soon as the slowdown started to materialize in the real economy, boom, oil collapsed like a uh-huh. straight line elevator shaft down. It was ugly. It was horrible it was very painful for oil bulls i think we get a repeat of that i think these these oil prices that we're seeing right now there's going to be one final hurrah here one final push to 140 150 maybe you get a to blow the top off to 180 at which point you're going to, get to take the elevator shaft down to 100 <laughs> down to 50 down to 70 down to 50 there it's mm-hmm. going to be a real painful destruction in the oil markets um That's going to help ease inflation, food prices, food prices are a bit trickier. I don't really Uh see real near term solutions there, but I do think there are technologies being developed, such as vertical farming that can really Uh help the situation in the long run. So the only component of inflation that I'm really worried about right now is food. And that's not a big enough component to drive the inflation, the overall inflation narrative. So I'm very confident Uh in saying inflation will decelerate probably more quickly than most expect Over the next 12 months, Uh as it does, Uh the Fed will start to provide some dovish surprises. Yields will start to come down and stocks will start to go up into the right, do what they normally do. Um, Getting to that point is going to take time. And Uh that's why we're not super bullish on June specifically. (laughs) But we are bullish on the 12 month outlook because we do think that is what is going to happen,
1: regardless of that hot may inflation break. Well, looking at that kind of 12-month outlook and also kind of thinking about how you're saying it's going to get worse before it gets better still, uh, I think many of our subscribers are probably wondering, you know, how much more can stocks give up? And, you know, so can you walk us through what your thoughts are and the likely outcomes of what the S&P is going to look like uh, in the next 12 months?
0: Sure, sure. Um, So I think one way to kind of benchmark your Expectations of how low can stocks go uh, mm-hmm. is to assume a recession is going to happen and then okay. work from there, okay? So let's assume a recession does materialize in 20, maybe the back half of 2022 into 2023. Most economists are calling for a recession in the first half of 2023 or the second half of 2023. So let's assume some recession materializes over the next 12 to 24 months. Okay. What happens to stocks? Okay, so we have precedents for this. There have been three... Major recessions uh, since 1982, okay? Mm-hmm. Since 1985, like kind of the modern economy. Um, we had 2008. That was a major, deep recession. Mm-hmm. Corporate earnings, as judged by the S&P 500's earnings per share, dropped about 60% during 2008, 2009, okay? So a massive wipeout. We had 2000, 2001. That was another recession. During that period, corporate earnings dropped about 30%. Uh, Then we had the um, 1989 to 1991 recession, corporate recession. Corporate earnings there dropped about 25%. So we can see that based on these three recessions, there is one, a very deep one, where earnings Uh just got crushed, minus 60%. Then there were two kind of shallow recessions, recessions nonetheless, but shallow, run-of-the-mill, regular recessions, if you will. Mm -hmm. And those cut earnings by 30 percent, call it. Mm -hmm. So what we can expect is that if what happens is a deep recession, earnings Mm -hmm. are going to drop by 60 percent. If what happens is a shallow recession, earnings are going to drop by 30 percent. I think it's very unlikely we get a deep recession. The Uh consumer is too strong in terms of household balance sheets, balance sheets, corporations are too strong in terms of uh, corporate balance sheets. Um, Uh And the labor market is too strong. I know I said the labor market is going to weaken dramatically, but we're at 3.4% unemployment. Uh, Uh So even if we weaken substantially to 5%, 6%, we're still not talking 10, 11, 12% unemployment that we saw during 08, 09. So, I don't think we get a deep recession. I think that is like a 2%, 3% likelihood. Uh What is a much more likely outcome is a run-of-the-mill, shallow, regular old recession. Uh If that happens, corporate earnings drop by 30% over the next 12 to 24 months. That's what history says. Uh Let's say corporate earnings peak here in the second quarter of 2022. Let's say this is the peak. This is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. Earnings per share on a trillion 12-month basis for the S&P 500 are about $216. So we're looking at $216 in EPS. Take 30% off the top. We're looking at $150 in EPS over the next 12 to 24 months if a recession hits. That Mm -hmm. is a big drop, 30% drop. One might think, Mm -hmm. okay, if earnings drop 30% to 150, stocks got to drop another 30%, right? Not right. Because what also happens during um, recessions Mm -hmm. is that the earnings compression is offset by some multiple expansion. And Mm -hmm. it's offset by some multiple expansion for two reasons. One, during times of economic pain, of Mm -hmm. recessions, of contraction, treasury Mm -hmm. yields, long-term treasury yields go lower. As Mm -hmm. long-term treasury yields go lower, that provides room for equity multiple expansion. Number two, as earnings go lower, Remember, Uh stock markets are discounting mechanisms. They look to the future. They're forward looking. As Uh earnings go lower, investors start to pay a premium for those earnings on the expectation that they're so low that they only, you know, they're only going to go higher from here. So Uh multiples go higher for that reason as well. So during recessions, we saw it during uh, 89, 90, 91, during 2000, Uh 2001, during 2007, 2008, 2009, during uh, March 2020, April 2020 as well, during periods Uh like that. The earnings compression is offset by multiple expansion. Equity multiples tend to expand during recessions. To what levels do they expand to? Well, you look at um, 89, 90, 91. You're looking at something like a, we went, from around an 11 times trailing earnings multiple to about a 22 times trailing trailing earnings multiple. So a pretty big jump. You Uh look at 2000, 2001, we went from about 25 to 30. You look at 2007, 2009, we went from about 16, 17, all the way to about 27. So we always get to this level of like 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 times trailing earnings during recessions. So uh-huh. let's take that 150, that recession outcome EPS that we're talking about, shallow uh-huh. recession outcome. Let's throw a normal recession multiple on it, something like 27 and a half. Remember, I said it's between 25 and 30, so let's, call it, let's take the midpoint. 27 and a half, boom. And you're looking at a price target for the S&P 500 of over 4,000, something close to 4,200 within the uh-huh. next 12 to 24 months. We're at 3730 as I, as I, as I speak right now. Uh-huh. So thirty-seven, thirty, forty-two hundred over the next twelve to twenty-four months. Yes, uh-huh. you got to discount that back because money has a time value. Discount it back by ten percent per year. We're looking at what should be a fundamental fair value bottom or close to one at current levels. Depending if this shakes out of the next twelve months or twenty-four months. Obviously, uh-huh. the more you discount, the more years you have, the more uh, the lower your net present value goes today. But. The fact of the matter is the math here, the simple EPS math based on what EPS does during recessions, what P multiples do during recessions. Uh-huh. If we did a shallow recession, the math strongly supports the thesis that the S&P 500 is fundamentally either fairly valued or undervalued today, meaning Uh it is probably a good time to start dip buying. And if you've already been dip buying, it's a good time to continue dip buying Uh stocks. Every bear market turns into a bull market. Stocks always rebound when they're down 20 percent. It's usually no. It's always a good idea to buy if you have a five year plus time horizon. And most investors should. All investors should. So
1: that's the man, I just said a lot of words there. But <laughs> I think that, I think it's quite impressive that you knew all those numbers off the top of your head. So that's, I'm, the, I'm that, that, that's
0: the that's the math behind um the S P five hundred and where it could go over the next twenty four months and why below thirty eight hundred it looks pretty compelling.
1: And you did that all that on a napkin, right? yeah uh, yeah, some napkin. are,
0: are these considered napkins?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The math of that is somewhere down in here. I don't know. Mm. I have too many notes, man. You know that. Way too many yep. notes. Well, uh, I want to zoom out for a minute and kind of look at a, a, a broader perspective. Uh, I read an interesting quote that you used in uh, one of your uh, paid investor play subscribers uh, list. And I thought it would be interesting if we kind of talked about it here. Uh, it's sure. a quote from Warren Buffett, and it reads uh, Something different happens all the time. And that's one reason economic pred- predictions just don't enter into our decisions. Charlie yep. Munger, my partner, and I, in 54 years now, never made a decision based on an economic prediction. We make business predictions about what individual businesses will do over time. And we compare them to what we had to pay for them, but we have never said yes to something because we thought the economy was going to do well in the next year or two years, and we have never said no to anything because we were right in the middle of a panic. But when you get into economics, there's so many there's so many variables, and the truth is, you've got to expect good times and bad times in business. Uh, my question basically is: is can you expand on this and explain how this factors? into yeah. your decision-making processes in the markets.
0: Yeah, I love that quote because um, <laughs> during bear markets, we all become traders and mm-hmm. we all become obsessed with the short-term phenomena. We all become obsessed with what's driving the markets lower, macroeconomic sentiment, this data, that data. And honestly, I, I hate this stuff, man. I <laughs> hate every day waking up and checking on the 10-year treasury yield. Uh-huh. You know, I hate waking up every day and having to see, okay, what are the jobless claims numbers? What, you know, where's the inflation data? Where's the where's the PC? Where's the CPI I hate doing that, man. Uh-huh. I, I mean, literally, we, we have our, our little analyst meeting every morning, and it's a joke now. It's like, oh, where's the 10-year treasury yield at? <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it's like, it's just like, that's all we care about these days. And it is so annoying because – it's not the fun part of investing. It's not what I uh-huh. enjoy. And it really is not what drives stocks in the long run. The 10 year treasury yield does not drive stocks in the long run. It's driving mm-hmm. stocks today. And yeah. it's been driving stocks for 12 months because we're in this period of unusual market um, activity, unusual economic activity, unusual economic circumstances and dynamics. And during this period, everyone's obsessed with the short term stuff. But at the end of the day, this too shall pass. Like 2008, mm-hmm. 2009 passed, 2000, 2001 passed, you know, 90 91 passed. All these things always pass. Every time they're mm-hmm. different, right? In 08, 09, it was all about the housing crash. And everybody mm-hmm. at that time was obsessed with where are home prices going to go? How low can home prices go? And people thought that by timing a bottom in the housing market, that they would be able to time a bottom in the stock market and be able to get the best prices possible for assets. And part of that is true. But the fact of the matter is if you just bought any good stock, any good company's stock during that period, regardless of when you bought it, early 2008, mid-2008, 2008, late 2008, early 2009, mid-2009, 2009, late 2009, regardless of when you bought that, uh-huh. you uh-huh. made a lot of money in the three – in the subsequent three, five, and ten-year periods. hmm uh-huh. Yes, you would have made more money had you bought it in early 09 as opposed to mid-08. And if you bought it in mid-08, you suffered a pretty big drop between mid-08 to early 09. But we should not be short-term traders we all want to be short-term traders in bear markets we all feel like we have to be to protect ourselves but the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter if you bought a mid mid-08, late 08 or early 09 you made a lot of money in the three five ten year window same is true with the whole dot-com wash washout if you bought anytime in late 2000 anytime mm-hmm. throughout 2001 anytime throughout 2002 you made a lot of money over a 5 10 15 year window same thing with the with the 1987 flash crash same Thing with the reset. Same thing with the 1990-91 reset. Same thing in 1994-95 when we had a drop in the markets. Same thing in 1998 when we had a drop in the markets. Every time mm-hmm. these things happen, the phenomena that cause them are different. We become obsessed with that phenomenon. We try to analyze the phenomenon because we all want to uh, find the bottom. We all want to be the person that, that perfectly timed the bottom and made a bunch of money on the way up and didn't lose money on the way down. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, as Warren Buffett said, this is what economies do. Mm-hmm. They boom. They bust, they boom, they bust, they boom, Uh they bust, they boom, they bust. And that is going to be the repeating pattern of capitalism has been for centuries, will continue to be for centuries until somebody rewrites Uh the rules of capitalism, which is not happening anytime soon and Uh not happening right now. Um, Therefore, we just have to adjust to it and understand that what good companies do Uh is they thrive during the booms they survive the busts and then they uh-huh. thrive when the next boom comes uh-huh. and the key is to just invest in those companies knowing that they're going to go up a lot during booms they're going to come down during bust and then they're going to go up a lot more during booms during the next boom so you just got to find those companies find good prices for them buy them and then wait out this economic turbulence economic storm and that's what we're doing right now that's uh-huh. our investment strategy aaron i Talk about this 10-year treasury yield. I talk about inflation. I talk uh-huh. about the Fed. Because it's important to understand. And it's what people want to hear, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's People want to know when are stocks going to rebound? When is a turnaround going to come? You know, how much lower can things go? What's the napkin math behind the s and of A lot of uh-huh. do. People want to know that. So I dedicate a lot of analysis to it and try to give people answers uh-huh. because I want to give people answers. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. It really doesn't. Inflation will come down, whether it's next month, in six months, in 12 months, in 18 months, in 24 months, inflation will come down. Inflation doesn't stay high forever. It doesn't stay low forever, right? It goes high, it goes low. It's cyclical. So it's going to come down. The Fed is going to stop hiking rates, whether it's in six months, 18 months, 12, 12, whatever it is, they're going to stop hiking rates. Okay. Stocks are going to go higher. That's what they do. This is the U.S. economy we're talking about. So Mm long as the U.S. economy expands, these stocks are going to go higher. It's never the end of the world. So get rid of the apocalyptic thinking. (laughs) Throw it in a trash can. Those people are never right. Well, Uh broken clocks are right twice a day. So there's Mm -hmm. this Jeremy Grantham guy, right? And he was calling the super bubble. Uh, he's a billionaire investor and, and a very, very good investor, and everyone thinks he's a genius now because he called the super bubble back in January 2022. He's called mm-hmm. a super bubble in January in every single year since 2010. Mm-hmm. So he was wrong for 11 years and then right for one. Broken clock, right? <laughs> you know, twice a uh, twice a day. So mm-hmm. I just think that you you cannot give in to the apocalyptic thinking. And at the same time, don't become obsessed with the near-term gyrations and uh-huh. up 5%, down 5%, where's the 10-year treasury? What's the Fed gonna do? Inflation, la loty do. It's easy to become obsessed with that. I become obsessed with that sometimes. And I have to uh-huh. have my team pull me out and say, Luke, get your head out of that stuff. Like, uh-huh. look at the big picture. Uh-huh. Is technological transformation continuing?
1: Uh-huh. Yes,
0: absolutely are we using more digital money today than physical money? Yes. Is that share growing? Yes. Are we shopping online more? Yes. Are there really exciting innovations coming to online shopping such as extended reality, augmented reality, enhanced online shopping? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Are we spending a lot of times on our phones? Yes. Is that time growing? Yes. How about streaming? We're watching a lot of streaming. Yes. Are there really cool innovations coming to streaming? Augmented reality, metaverse? And you know, immersive reality situations. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. Are is cloud growing? Is everything becoming remote, hybrid? Yes. Are we shifting to electric vehicles? Yes. Is clean energy becoming a big thing? Yes. Is solar dominating all new energy installations globally? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is hydrogen starting to come into its own? Yes. Is quantum computing this really emer- this really exciting emerging technology field that promises to reshape computing as we know it? Yes. Is synthetic biology? Uh, This emerging field that could rewrite the code, the DNA of life. Yes. Uh Could that absolutely change everything about everything? Yes. (laughs) Is vertical farming a new Uh way to create food sustenance, food security, food independence? Uh Yes. All of these things are still happening. They will continue to happen through this crisis. They will thrive once it passes. So zoom out and look at the big picture. Let stocks go down 10%. Let them go down 20%. Let your portfolio get hit 50%. So long as you are invested in fabulous companies led Mm -hmm. by fabulous people doing fabulous things then you will very likely make Mm -hmm. very good money in the stock market over the long run. You just have to have patience as your guide. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what that quote really means to me. And Buffett is Mm -hmm. the best investor of all time, and that's what he does. He doesn't care about inflation. He doesn't care about economic predictions or the Fed or interest rates or yields or anything. He just finds good companies. He finds Coca-Cola. He finds Mm -hmm. McDonald's and he just sits and he just waits for them to sell a lot of drinks and a lot of burgers and he makes a lot of money. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. And he invested throughout the 70s. Which was this period of runaway inflation, way worse than we saw today, with the Fed that we talked about it, 75 uh-huh. basis point precedent. We had yeah. uh, 94, 82, and then we had the series of them in 80, 80 81. Buffett was investing during all of that. So it's not like Buffett hasn't seen this before. Uh-huh. Buffett has seen what we're seeing times 12 on steroids. And still, for 54 years, he never made an investment decision based on economic predictions or because the economy is going to do well over over a one to two-year period because the economy is going to do poorly over the next 12 months. He found Mm -hmm. good companies with great growth prospects and bought them at very reasonable prices. And if you just take that outlook Mm -hmm. and apply it to the market today, you're Mm -hmm. going to see so many opportunities, Aaron, so many opportunities. So so why do you
1: think that – so why do you think it's so hard for art for people to to wrap their head around that concept? Uh, is it the is it, you know, media telling them that, you know, we're that, you know, this is the worst time ever to be invested? Is it, you know, people who who are the quote, the anti-luke are quote who want to go based on the economy? Why why is it that such a hard concept for people to get their heads around? When it when the way you explain it it just it does seem so simple.
0: Uh, There's a few reasons. Um, One, loss aversion. Humans Mm -hmm. hate to lose money. Humans hate risk. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when they are losing money, when they see their portfolios dropping, their stocks dropping, they freak out and have visceral knee-jerk reactions to that. And try mm-hmm. to come up with any solution possible to stop the bleeding, to stop them from losing money. Very few people are just like at ease with just, again, the coffee can method, just buying a stock, putting it in a coffee can and not checking on it five years. Mm-hmm. Very few yeah. people can successfully pull that off because humans by creature are creatures that are loss averse. And when they see losses, mm-hmm. they want to react to that and stop it. So that is one reason. Um, mm-hmm. The second reason is the media does play into this. Um, fear sells like crazy, man. I mean, I, I can uh-huh. tell you working in the media industry, understanding how this stuff works, fear sells like crazy. It gets clicks. Uh-huh. People are just drawn to it. And so, yeah, the media plays it up. Dow drops a 1,000 points. Man, you bet that they're going to have CNBC, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. They're going to have so many articles about that. Notice uh-huh. how when the the markets have a really bad day, Mm-hmm. You can count on the mainstream media outlets to somehow spin the nastiest, scariest <laughs> headline possible. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Dow dropped a thousand points, worst day since la di da do. When it's like a thousand points today is like not that much compared to a mm-hmm. thousand points back in 09 because mm-hmm. the index was much smaller. So let's talk about percent returns, but you'll never see that. What you'll see Mm -hmm. is whatever is the scariest sounding headline, that's the one they're going to run with because that's the one that's going to get clicks. That's the one that's going to freak you out the most and get you to react in your portfolio. Uh, So there's definitely that part of it going into that and into this Mm -hmm. why people don't just kind of sit back and relax. And the third thing is people like drama. Mm -hmm. As much as we act like we don't like, you know, all this stuff, people love drama. Why do you think, you know, Kim Kardashian has created an empire with that? What is it? Keeping up with the Kardashian show. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There's this new one on Hulu about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm -hmm. You know, like these are all just drama. They're just drama, 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 drama. Humans Mm -hmm. love drama. So when you get drama in the markets, market volatility, humans are drawn to it. They're captivated Mm -hmm. by it. And they subconsciously maybe – like to fret over what's going on in the market. It's kind of like this. Uh It gives them something to worry about. So I think there's a lot of psychological things going on here, behavioral economics things going on here that explain Uh why people always freak out during times like this, never Uh actually do the right thing, which is just chill. Just Uh chill out. If you own great companies, you're going to be fine. Yes, if Uh you own a Blockbuster, a JCPenney, you're not going to be fine. So, you know that that's where your homework should be done. The quality of the companies you own, Mm -hmm. not whether or not the stocks are going up or down right now because the market's Mm -hmm. swinging like a yo yo. Okay. Yeah. You don't control that. I don't control that. The Fed kind of controls it, maybe, but you don't control the Fed. So, Mm -hmm. if you can't control it, let it be. Yeah. Control what you can control. The quality Mm -hmm. of the companies you own in your portfolio, are they high-quality companies? Do they have great growth prospects? Will they Mm -hmm. grow in the long run? If yes to all three, stick with that company. Stick with Mm -hmm. the stock. It's going to make you money in the long run. Don't worry about these near-term gyrations. And it's really tough to hear during periods like this when stocks are bleeding, but Mm -hmm. it's absolutely the right way to make money in the markets over a three, five, 10 year period. There has mm-hmm. never been a bear market that didn't turn into a bull market. Every mm-hmm. time, S&P 500 just closed a bear market. Every time investors bought, as soon, if, if you were an investor and all you did, your entire investment strategy for the past 50 years was every mm-hmm. time the S&P 500 entered a bear market, I just bought everything. Mm-hmm. And that was your entire strategy. You would have made so much money. <laughs> So much you there never would have been a period where you would have lost money. Because mm-hmm. every time the SFI entered, entered a bear market territory, yes, maybe it went lower, maybe it rebounded significantly from that point, who knows? But over a longer period of time, it did rebound significantly every mm-hmm. single time. So it's mm-hmm. the most mind-numbingly simple idea that almost nobody comprehends that if you can comprehend you're gonna win in markets. You are mm-hmm. going to win in markets. I can guarantee that. So That's kind of like my big message, thinking that's what the Buffett quote means to me. I could probably go on and on. I could have an entire (laughs) TED Talks, Tony Robbins motivational (laughs) speech about this stuff. But Mm -hmm. that's really how I feel. And so that's why Mm -hmm. the bulk of my analysis on a day-to-day basis is dedicated to just understanding the the core business fundamentals of the companies we invest in and -hmm. why I really believe, really believe in those companies. People Mm -hmm. are like, the stock's down 50%. How do you still like it? I don't care about the stock. I mm-hmm. care about the company because the, if the company continues to succeed, the stock will follow suit. Mm-hmm. The stock can do all this sort of stuff in the near term. But in the mm-hmm. long run, if the company does this up and to the right, the stock's going to go up and to the right too. That's just how things work, fellas. So mm-hmm. I keep it simple. I keep it basic. And that's, that's what I'm going to continue to do because I truly fundamentally to my core and the data backs it up. believe that is the best way to
1: invest in markets. Well, not to kind of continue playing on fears, but uh, crypto is also took a hit on the heels of Friday's CPI print. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain what's going on there? Yeah, well,
0: crypto markets are in disarray, Uh, Mm -hmm. absolute disarray right now.
1: Uh, What's going on there? We saw Celsius Halt uh, swapping, trading withdrawals on their platform.
0: What's going on there, Aaron, is that uh defi was the central component the biggest value driver of the cryptocurrency markets mm-hmm. and defi has shown over the past month to have some significant issues mm-hmm. and it is shaking confidence investor confidence in the the core part of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Everything mm-hmm. revolves around DeFi. Yes, there's NFTs, yes, there's metaverse, yes, there's these mm-hmm. other things, but yep. DeFi is the bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. It is It is the, the central point, the central thesis, the calling mm-hmm. card cryptos right now, or so far.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That central point is getting smacked. You had the Terra wipeout, Celsius halted, like you said, that's gonna go to zero. Um, so mm-hmm. you've had two pretty major projects just basically be belly flops and go to zero. Confidence is being shaken. In that industry, the entire crypto system as a result is collapsing. Uh, technically speaking, we're showing support around the twenty thousand dollar level, which is important because that's the realized price line of mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Um, realized price is the co- the average cost basis of all investors in the market during previous. Bear markets previous crypto winters you saw bitcoin stabilize at the realized price line uh just below the realized price line there was a real battle between bulls and bears every single time and then eventually there was the breakout um that happened every single time crypto winter to winter this crypto winter realized price lines right around 23.6 23.5 we're at what what are we at right now we're at 22.4. So we're battling. We're battling uh-huh. there at the realized price line. That's technically a good sign. In terms of time, previous crypto winters have lasted anywhere from 12 to 14 months. We're working on month seven right now. So uh-huh. it looks like you know we're seven months into what should be a 12 to 14 month bear market. We're already fighting uh, at that realized price line around 23.6. So it it looks like what's going to happen in the crypto markets over the next few months is consolidation that Uh we've kind of done the wipeout now. And we're going to now fight. We're going to have a bull bear Uh yo-yo fight at around 22, 23, 24, maybe 2021. So in that 20 to 24 range, we're probably just going to bounce and consolidate Uh for the next five to seven months after which i think we enter a new boom cycle a new bull cycle because we have the bitcoin having an early 24 mm-hmm. New boom cycles tend to correlate with those halvings. They start about a year before. That puts us in 1Q23. That matches up with the 12 to 14-month timeline of the current crypto winter. So what Mm -hmm. I see happening in cryptos is consolidation over the next five to seven months, followed by a new boom cycle that brings Bitcoin probably to new highs, probably to $100,000 over the subsequent two to three years. Um, And from that perspective, I think if you're going to take shots, Uh Now may be a good time to take some shots, though Uh not a lot of shots because the key Uh here is altcoins are going through their their dot-com flushing, their Uh dot-com purging. Uh And what that means is that most of these projects are going to go to zero. Um, Uh We have the saying that 98% of cryptos are going to go to zero. And I Mm -hmm. think that's true. I think 98% Mm -hmm. of the projects out there are gonna end up being completely worthless in the end. Even though the entire crypto market is going to be worth a lot of value in the long run, Um, Mm -hmm. a lot more than what it is today, 98% of what's in existence won't be around to carry the torch. What's gonna carry Mm -hmm. the torch are the top 2% today and the new projects that come online over the next few years, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at the dot-com boom and bust, a lot of the companies that actually carried the torch and became giants of the internet Um, Uh Whether it be Facebook, Shopify, um, Uh Atlassian, Twilio, Square, Roku, these were all companies that were born after the dot-com flushing. They were born Uh in 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011. They were born in the years following the wipeout. So I think a lot of the cryptos that are going to turn into fabulous long-term investments actually haven't even been born yet or are – on drawing boards right now happening in someone's garage right now and we're Mm going to start to see those emerge over the next two three four five years and those are going to be some really promising projects that are going to fix the issues that we've seen so far in this wipeout and they're Mm going to create better versions of what already exists so Mm -hmm. that's why i think if you're going to take shots you got to be very selective you got to stay to the two percent that's going to make it and what is that two percent very tough to tell but look at stuff that's shown solid, uh, relative strength, look at stuff Mm -hmm. that has great teams where the value prop actually makes a lot of sense and where the business idea has longevity. So that's what we're doing right now. We're doing what we call the 10 year sniff test. So we're Mm -hmm. looking at a crypto and we're saying, are we 95% sure this crypto is going to be around in 10 years? Mm -hmm. If yes, buy it. If no Mm -hmm. pass. Mm-hmm. We're doing that 10-year sniff test to everybody because the reality is if a crypto does survive over the next 10 years, then it's undervalued today. Mm-hmm. But okay. 98% of cryptos won't pass that sniff test. So mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. That's our game plan for cryptos at the current moment.
1: So we talked about this a little bit last week, but with what happened with Terra, what, what's happened Monday with Celsius, does this suggest a need for regulation? And I think we, I mean, we did talk about it. you. You're, you think that it's going to happen most likely anyway. Um, But what does this mean long-term for crypto once that regulation starts setting in? How does that affect that 10-year outlook? Absolutely,
0: Aaron. I mean, the recent developments in the crypto market have underscored that we need regulation. Regulation is a a necessary evil. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of Bitcoin Maxis out there, crypto maximalists that are like, no, no regulation, free markets forever. Cryptos are designed to be um, Mm -hmm. deregulated, uh, non-regulated. They're going to survive on their own. No, they are not. They just mm-hmm. aren't. You know, I like to think of myself as a realist, an optimistic realist. I mm-hmm. believe in the future of cryptocurrencies. I think they can transform the world. They, re- they already are transforming it. Their transformation mm-hmm. is going to grow and in influence. But if you want the most beneficial impact, the most sustainable growth in this industry, you need regulation. You need mm-hmm. loose regulation. We've talked about this before, Aaron. There's mm-hmm. zero regulation, there's tight regulation, and then there's that mm-hmm. down the fairway of loose regulation. If we mm-hmm. hit down the fairway and get that loose regulation, that is the stage upon which we can truly see cryptos impact and change the world because confidence mm-hmm. is destroyed in this market right now. Mm-hmm. Who trusts yeah. a DeFi project? Like, see, like, I don't know how I could trust a DeFi project right now. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, Terra, Celsius, and then exchanges, Coinbase cutting 20% of employees, BlockFi Mm -hmm. doing 20%. I mean, it's just – it is – why have faith in this market? What recent developments have underscored is in order for 95% of us to have faith in the cryptocurrency markets, Mm -hmm. we need some regulation. We need a hand on the scale to help us have faith. And once we get that, it's going to be a long time for us to adjust and evolve and craft regulation that is down the fairway, that does promote Mm -hmm. innovation without hindering growth, that does promote security without freaking people out. I think that is going to be a tough task, but we're going Mm -hmm. to do it. And once we do, what's going to create a stage for cryptos to really take over? And I think that regulation wave is going to come in Mm -hmm. 23, 24 25 mm-hmm. and is going to be a catalyst for that boom cycle i'm talking about mm-hmm. that i think good regulation loose regulation will be a basis for cryptos to move higher mm-hmm. so i'm actually looking forward to the next sort of wave of regulation i think it could add some real clarity and inject some real certainty and confidence back into these markets
1: so how long do you think it'll be before we have that same confidence that we had 24 months ago within the crypto space where everybody oh, well, and their mother was time. talking you about know, you know the, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, uh, Doge, Shiba, and, and everything in between. All the good and the bad, but everybody, was in, everybody knew it, and everybody was invested in it. and Everybody wanted to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a long time, Aaron, and the reason it's going to be a long time is uh, back when I was, was an athlete a long time ago, uh, not anymore, uh, <laughs> I remember the saying was, it takes forever to get into shape. Right, uh-huh. I mean, it takes it takes weeks and months even to get into real tip top athletic uh-huh. peak shape, and it takes a week to get out of it. <laughs> you know, like you don't, know, you know, I I played basketball, running mm-hmm. suicides all the time. That's, that's yep. how you got into shape. You know, you free mm-hmm. the line and back, half court and back, other free the line back, half court and back. Just do that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Run around the track. You know, you can spend all summer getting into shape, and then you take two weeks off, and you come back, and boom, you are back to square one. Uh huh. Trust is the same way as shape. It Uh takes forever to earn trust. And Uh once you break it, and it can break very quickly, Uh once you break it, it's gonna take forever to re-earn it. So this re-earning of trust cycle is going to take a while. It's not Uh gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen in six months. It's gonna take three to five years for people to truly Uh regain confidence in crypto systems, in blockchain systems, and I think that's good because what it does Mm -hmm. is it takes the pressure off developers, the spotlight's removed, people can now Mm -hmm. innovate without the pressures of outside investors, without the pressure of the mainstream spotlight, they can innovate, Mm -hmm. they can create, and then when they come to market with really good ideas, those ideas are going to be so strong that people are going to be like, ah, that looks like something I can trust. So mm-hmm. the timeline here is its gonna work out in a three to five yeah. year window, but you gotta stomach what—what is—I mean, has been really bad. I think the worst of yeah. the actual percent decline is over, but things aren't gonna like all of a sudden do this V-shaped recovery, and we're gonna go back to mm-hmm. the days of Doge and Shiba running the, running the, uh, running the system. But mm-hmm. um, it's gonna take a while,
1: for sure. Okay. Awesome. Well, we uh, we still have a few fan questions left. Uh, CS Low. Uh, is asking, thanks for another great show. May's CPI talking about may CPI game is higher than estimates followed by a market sell-off. Can we safely assume the Fed will, uh, now get more aggressive on rate hikes, which we've already discussed, but if so, are we going to see further downside on stock prices or has the market already priced in the more aggressive hike with the sell-off?
0: Yeah, so I actually think, and you guys are gonna know this by you by the time you hear this tomorrow. So I don't know how helpful this is, mm-hmm. but I think we could get a a face melt rally off of the Fed uh, press conference tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be completely wrong, and I'm not putting the farm on it. Uh, but if you want to take a small bet on it, maybe do. Um, the Fed is everyone is expecting 75 tomorrow. E- expectations are maximally hawkish going into this meeting. Uh, and I just don't see how the Fed sounds more hawkish than what's expected. I mm-hmm. mean, the murmurs now out of all the banks and with the futures markets pricing in is basically 75 in June and 75 in July. Maybe the Fed does that. Maybe they do, in which case that's already priced in. But mm-hmm. they also might go 50 and 50 or 75 mm-hmm. then 50 or 25. You know, like there's a range of outcomes on the more dovish sides that all mm-hmm. seem pretty likely. What's going to be more hawkish? They're going to go 100? No. Like, yeah. no. Like, there mm. is, if, if you were to create a probabilities kind of scale <laughs> here, there's like a, a very small sliver at the top of them sounding more hawkish, 2%, 3%. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's like this 90% chance they sound more dovish. So I think the mm-hmm. risk-reward looks pretty good for stocks going into that meeting on a short-term mm-hmm. basis. Again, I think any rally that we do see here is going to be short-lived until inflation does actually come down. Right, Mm -hmm. like it's clear to me the market's unconvinced by core inflation accelerating. I'm convinced by it. I think it's it's a sign Mm -hmm. that headline inflation is going to come down. The market doesn't. I'm not going to fight the market. It's very clear to me the market is not going to sustainably rebound until those headline inflation rates start to top off and come down. So any bounce we see from the Fed that you know may happen this week, next week, I don't think Mm -hmm. is going to be long, long term or long lived Mm -hmm. unless we get that June print that June
1: inflation print, and it shows a peak in inflation. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Uh, Mia T. also asks, um, in regards to SoFi, what are the pros and cons of a reverse stock split from the company's investor's perspective, and what (laughs) would be the ramifications if SoFi would do one? Is this good news?
0: Oh, man, yeah, there's a lot of confusion about this reverse stock split over at SoFi. Let me be abundantly clear. A reverse stock split is not happening. So okay. I've got a lot of questions from subscribers about what do you think of the reverse stock split? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, isn't that bad news? Shouldn't I sell? Like bad companies do reverse stock splits, right? Not good companies. Mm-hmm. They are not doing a reverse stock split. There is a vote going okay. to shareholders mm-hmm. that is going to give management the ability to mm-hmm. enact a reverse stock split if they wanted to. Okay. So what's happening is a vote to give management power to do a reverse stock split, not a mm-hmm. vote to actually have a reverse stock split. So why is management doing this? The reason management is doing this actually kind of speaks to the irrationality in markets right now and the <laughs> supremely undervalued nature of mm-hmm. SoFi stocks. there are certain regulations and requirements among big banks that they can invest in certain stocks a certain amount of money in certain stocks that are trading below five bucks Uh That just those regulations just do exist and they exist Uh because stocks below five bucks are normally penny stocks not great stocks and that just is what it is Uh sofi has a lot of big boys on its roster a lot Uh of big banks a lot of high profile investors are bankrolling this company because it's a fabulous company nobody on earth expected the stock to fall below five bucks ever. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they, they went public at that SPAC at 10. They went to 16. They got up to 2025. 20, they were t- mm-hmm. touching on the door of 30. Everybody kind of thought this is a stock is going to go from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 15, just going to be a long-term compounder all the way to 100, 200, a lot of alley do. And that's just how people thought it was going to go. Markets mm-hmm. have gone crazy. we got a lot of irrationality. Now we're looking at SoFi stock knocking on the door of five. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Management yeah. didn't see that coming. The big banks, bankroll, and it didn't see it coming. So now they're mm-hmm. all like, OK, we don't want to give up on SoFi. So if the stock does drop below five bucks, we need y'all to re- enact a reverse stock split so that we can stay in the stock because mm-hmm. we don't want to get to a situation where we're below five and have to sell out because of our stupid rules and regulations. So mm-hmm. if you fall below five, reverse stock split it. Keep us in the game. That's mm-hmm. basically what management is doing. So they want to have that ability as kind of like an ace in their pocket in case the mm-hmm. stock does fall below 5 bucks for a long period of time. They pull out that ace. They can do the reverse stock split without needing shareholder approval, and boom, mm-hmm. they can keep all that big money still in the pipeline. So mm-hmm. that's what's going on with SoFi. I don't think it really means anything for investors besides the fact that it screams, just like all the insider buying screams, mm-hmm. that SoFi stock is ridiculously ridiculously undervalued mm-hmm. um and actually on that note i'm gonna do something real quick mm-hmm. you know how much i love my myself mm-hmm. SOFI. going to my openinsider.com i didn't check it today so i'm gonna check it uh-huh. today and i'm gonna bet there was some insider buying yesterday i'm just gonna bet on it <laughs> ah, what do you know there was yeah <laughs> cool <laughs> Anthony Noto, CEO, yesterday bought another $250,000 worth of shares. Harvey Schwartz, mm-hmm. board director, bought $300,000 worth of shares. Uh-huh. Oh, these guys aren't dumb, man. They aren't dumb. Yeah. Anthony Noto was basically one of the biggest wigs at Goldman Sachs for a long time. CFO of the NFL, CFO of Twitter, COO of Twitter. This guy is a business, as business savvy as they come. And he is buying this dip hand over fist. I would Again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would align myself with this guy. It is really mm-hmm. smart. The team is great. The product is great. The platform is great. The business mm-hmm. model makes a ton of sense. The growth potential is amazing. The stock's way undervalued. I mean, this is one of those talked about earlier. Let's zoom out and look at the big picture, guys. Mm-hmm. Big picture is SoFi is the new bank. SoFi yeah. is going to disrupt Bank of America. It's going to disrupt Wells Fargo. May think I'm crazy. People thought you know bulls on Amazon were crazy back in 02 and they said Amazon's gonna disrupt Sears. Nobody thought Sears was going out of business. Well, <laughs> Amazon put them out of business. So far, is gonna do the same thing, same disruptive capability there. And if you buy it today and put it in a coffee can, you're gonna be up a lot in three years, five years, ten years. This is one of those long-term mega winners. Buy mm-hmm. it and forget it. When I said earlier, right now is the time to find those stocks hunker Mm -hmm. down in them and forget about all these gyrations and inflation and macroeconomic nonsense. This is one of those stocks. SoFi is 100% Mm -hmm. one of those stocks.
1: Well, hopefully for all our listeners, their takeaway from this episode is just put it in the coffee can and let it sit. Um, And again, great insights for them as always. Luke, do you have any last words before we wrap today? Um, you know, Aaron, not not really. We covered quite a bit of ground
0: today, and I, I think you summed it up perfectly there. That mm-hmm. bear market, it's something about bear market. I need to, I need to go talk to a psychology uh, professor or something because <laughs> there is some deep human psychological stuff going mm-hmm. on in bear markets where all of a sudden we all become short term oriented and traders yeah. and just like on edge and. During the bull market, every, everyone's a buy and forget guy. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's a let me just buy this, I'm gonna make money in five years. Like, that's what everybody is in bull markets, and all of a sudden, bear mm-hmm. market, you change. It's like, why? Yeah. Why do you change because stocks drop 20, 30, 40 percent? It happens boom, mm-hmm. bust, boom. Um, mm-hmm. for anybody that's interested, I have a movie recommendation, so I'll, I'll end it on that note. Okay. Uh, the guys who did Monty Python created a movie mm-hmm. called Boom, Bust, Boom, uh, and it's about the boom, bust, boom cycles of capitalism and how that – this is just what markets do and why you should never get too high at the peaks and never too low at the valleys and instead just ride the waves through. Mm-hmm. Buy great companies and hold them through those long periods of times. So I'd watch that movie. I watch it – a decade ago on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's okay. still on Amazon Prime, but uh, I would definitely highly recommend at this point in time for people to watch mm-hmm. Boom, Bust Boom. It's funny. It's cute. But it's also mm-hmm. very accurate and should help you uh, be put at ease amid the current market storm because this is just what happens in markets. And buckle up, take the punches, and just make sure your own great stuff that's going to thrive when the turnaround arrives because mm-hmm. the turnaround will indeed arrive inevitably.
1: All right, movie recommendation from Luke. Boom, bust, boom. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comment section. We'd love to hear your feedback on any topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all.